Well, I did tell you that I would give the, the quality here to the women this morning. And I was looking at the schedule, you know, the quality I had this morning for the men was the one indispensable quality. And of course, it's being sensible. And, you know, I do say that that takes time to work towards that. And we'll be fully sensible one day when we go to glory, won't we? But until that time, those are choices that we need to make to to be wise and discerning men. And then here, at least on the schedule, it says the one overarching quality. Now, I could have just titled that the, the one indispensable quality. So if you hear me up front and I'm using those inter- interchangeably, either way will work. It's the one indispensable quality, the one overarching quality. And I really begin to pray as to how I might be of some service to you women. You know, we have seven kids, as I mentioned, and we're raising five daughters And uh, that's exciting to see what the Lord is doing. And I begin to think I got one shot with you, women. And what can I do? And my just my mind and my heart, um, you know, there's many different things. When you've been preaching the Bible for about 25 years, probably close to 30 hours a week for 25 years, um, that would be 30, probably 15 hours a message. You know, it adds up to be about... 30 hours a week when you're in that. Now I'm not, I'm not speaking at night. We don't have an evening service, and so it's a little bit less. So there's so much that, you know, to bring to a setting like that. But the more I begin to look, the more almost uncomfortable I was thinking I just got one shot with you. And so I want to take you to the one indispensable quality of a woman. And maybe that sounds a little over the top. Maybe it is. Obviously, there's a body of truth in all of the scripture. But if I, if I thought if I can encourage you in one way around one truth, I want to do this. And, and I would even just tell you, this is not something that I have... Uh, I've done this before. You know, sometimes you just have to dig in. Sometimes you bring truth. Rick was in Romans. He's preaching Romans at the church. But my heart just kept coming back to this text for you ladies. Because in a myriad of options, what are you to do? In a myriad of things for a young man, I try to give that quality of sensibility. And then for you women, what can I do? And my heart kept coming back to this passage and, and I'll explain it to you. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Proverbs. And it's Proverbs chapter 31. And I want to take you back to that. I don't want you to tune me out like, oh, he's going to give us that passage in Proverbs 31. You know, the 90 gazillion qualities that a woman needs to be that she won't attain till she gets to glory. Um, I, I don't want to do that with you. But I kept coming back to this passage, and I kept coming back to the one indispensable quality in this passage. I I think part of my heart for you this morning is, you know, there's just so many things that a woman is to be. And I mean that in a wrong sense. I mean that as, as a pastor to you. I hear so many different things. I think all of them, most of them, are good. But I'm still left a little bit with who is she and what should she do? 
And I'm afraid that even in evangelical churches, even in strong churches, paradigms develop of what this woman should be, particularly in the context of ministry, particularly in the context of Titus 2, and particularly what that ought to look like in a church and what an older woman should do and what a younger woman should do. And I was praying over Titus 2, and I just thought, my, just my heart wasn't there. I, I could do that, but, but I, I wanted to draw our thoughts here to Proverbs 31. Because here is a woman who loves God, a woman who is sold out to God, a woman, as you would know if you've been in the truth for any amount of time, she's to be esteemed. And what I want to do just with our short time here is set before you an example to give and to provide for you a portrait of an excellent woman. You could call it an excellent woman. Sometimes in the text, it says here in 31.10, an excellent wife, it, it is for a wife, who can find? It says in verse 10, her worth is far above jewels. In 31.11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He will, you know, he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She's not a merchant ship, but she's like a merchant ship. Make sure you get that right. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she rises also while it is still at night. She gives food to her household, portions to her maiden. She considers a field. Interesting. It's a businesswoman. Buys it, and from the earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength. She makes her arms strong. She senses her gain is good. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle just where they would work she extends her hand to the poor and she's incredible she stretches out her hands to the needy she's not afraid of the snow for her household for all her household are clothed with scarlet she makes covering for her coverings for herself her clothing is fine linen and purple her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land she makes linen garments she sells them she supplies belts to the trade strength and dignity are her clothing she smiles at the future she opens her mouth in wisdom the teaching of kindness is on her tongue she looks well to the ways of her household she does not eat the bread of idleness and it goes on I mean it is an incredible description and and women I would just encourage you with this this is the trajectory of where you want to go but you are looking, admittedly, at a very mature woman. A woman who does not become this at 21. She doesn't become this at 25, I don't think. This is a godly woman marked out by the scripture, so much so that in verse 10, she's rare. Verse 10, an excellent wife, or literally even an excellent woman, who can find? So my message this afternoon is for you, single women. I want to encourage you to strive to be this woman. Certainly this is for married women with children or without children. Here is the example of scripture of the marks of a godly woman. Single men, and I'm not going to give it away right now, 
John might have said, this is for the women, and, or, you know, and men, you can lean back. Women, lean in. And listen to me, men. You lean in. You lean in. Now, I promised this would be for the women, but as you'll see, it's really for you men. You say, Scott, why do you say that? Well, have you ever looked at the context of Proverbs 31? Look at verse 1. Amazing. Just to remind you, the words, 31.1, of King Lemuel, he's a king, the oracle which his, what does it say? Mother taught him. These are the words of Lemuel, but did you see it? It's the instruction of his mother to him. It's the instruction of a mother to a king, a would-be king, on the type of woman that he should marry. I just want to set that context for you, okay? And my purpose here is to encourage you, women as well, to extol for you the example of a woman so that you would might be all that God would desire you to be. Now, just a little framework, okay? The context of Proverbs 31, very interesting. And if I mention Proverbs 31, I'm really mentioning verses 10 through 31, okay? The context is, I think you might know this. If you don't, then listen or be reminded. It's an acrostic poem, okay? It's, it's really... A brilliant piece, and I hate to call it this. It is a brilliant piece of literature. It's the Word of God, and I'd rather call it the Word of God. But when you look into the Word, and when you study Greek, and in this case Hebrew, it's brilliant. And so what the writer has done is put it in an, in an acrostic poem, exalting, if you will, the virtues or the excellencies of this woman. The virtues or the excellencies of this wife. Now, each of these 22 verses, okay, begin with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, you can't see that in English, okay? But if, if you took it in English, it'd be A, B, you get it, C, D, 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 E, F, G, down it goes. There's 22 verses, and each verse, if you will, begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And all of it is contributing to the total picture of this woman. And in this entire package, you know, I see eight characteristics that provide an insight into who this woman is. Eight. But I'm not going to do that, okay? Because here's my heart for you. Now, I could do that. We need more time, okay? But my heart for you at Advanced, for you women and men you need to lead in, is focused on just one quality, okay? (laughs) You got to limit your role here. Just just one quality. And I believe it to be the most preeminent quality in the whole list, if, if such can be stated, and I think it can. In fact, I think the writer works all of his material to this. All that's said about the virtues of this woman, who is a wife in this case, comes down to a pinnacle at this point. 
Now, it doesn't mean the other stuff is not important. It all adds, and when he summarizes, he gets to this statement. It is the secret of the Lord. You say, well, Scott, what is it? It's the last two verses. It's this, in verse 30. Charm is, and you know it by heart, deceitful, and beauty is vain. But the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be, what? Praised. I read it at every wedding ceremony that I ever do. And when I'm giving the responsibility of the bride to her husband, I read her this. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But the woman who fears the Lord She's the one who's going to be praised. Listen, women, it is the secret of a godly woman. This is a woman who fears the Lord. Everything she does in verses 10 through 31 is the product of the fear of God. And this, not anything our society would say, is the woman who is to be praised. This is a woman who's to be esteemed. This is a woman whose worth is far above jewels. In other words, her worth, men, it can't be counted. So I'm gonna drill you men. What are you looking for? Because when the Bible describes this woman, he says, here's the pedestal of this woman. Here's the woman that God esteems. Here's the one that he raises up. This is the woman that I want my daughters to be and my wife is. He says, here's the one who's to be praised. It's the woman who fears God. In fact, look at the text again in verse 10. An excellent wife or an excellent woman. And then it says this, who can find, okay? Now he mentions that word excellent, just a little background, This is a woman, literally, of valor. That's what the word excellent means in the Hebrew. It's a woman of noble character. In different contexts, that word denotes wealth. It denotes ability. It's interesting. Excellent was used even of 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 physical strength, excuse me. And it spoke, the word excellent, even of military power, and I'm not trying to be funny, it spoke of a war horse. (laughs) In other words, she's strong is the thought. It doesn't look like a war horse, okay? Okay? But she's strong and she's of valor and of noble character. Now look what it says again in verse 10. An excellent woman or wife, who can find? And it is not because this woman doesn't exist, but I'm telling you, men, This is a rare woman. It's not that they're not out there, but it's a rare woman in Bozeman, Montana. It's a rare woman in Belgrade. It's a rare woman in Billings. Oh, they're out there, but, but, you know, you got to find this one. She's not easily found, but when she is, it's a rare case, and she's of surpassing value to those who find her. I'm thinking of the teaching of Proverbs in 18.22 that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. 
Men, when you find a woman like this, it's, it's rare. They're, they're scarce. I'm thinking of Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife, it says, is the crown of her husband. Uh, he may have many things behind his name, but an excellent wife is the crown in, in his heart. I'm thinking of that word being used. Remember when Boaz knew this to be true about Ruth? Remember in Ruth 3.11, when he said to Ruth, Boaz did, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you request. He said this, it's touching. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Same word. They know that you're a virtuous woman. They know that you're a woman of excellence. Listen, so rare is this woman. So esteemed is this woman, if you can believe it. Look at verse 10. Her worth is far above what? Jewels. No earthly treasure can compare to her. I mean, just a few days ago, I'm walking in Prague. Have you ever been to Prague? How many of you have been to Prague? Oh man, a few of you, just a couple. Prague's amazing. If you, if you get into Prague, you just walk into the city and you'll just stand there and go, you just never see anything like it in your life. The, the buildings, I, I mean, I was looking at buildings inside churches that have dates of 1300, which is like, you kind of do the math. That, that building's older than America. You know what I mean? Not, not the land of America, but the people, the, the country. When we, you know, came here, it's unbelievable. But everywhere I went in Prague, there was bohemian crystal shining. I mean, every other shop was crystals and jewels. I just want you to know, this woman, oh, she's off the charts. There's nothing that compares to this woman. You might even be Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, and this is true, she had a 40-carat diamond ring. I don't even know if I could picture that, right? It's like, would you like to see my ring, you know, and her hand falls. (laughs) Um, That's a lovely ring, you know, Jack, John Kennedy's wife. That's a lovely ring. I mean, it's 40 carats, but listen, this woman... She's so rare, she's way above that. In fact, look at verse 11. For her, it says her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her, her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. In other words, she's worthy of confidence. I mean, this woman inspires full confidence. She is, is dependable, he trusts her. Ultimately, in a word, this woman is a woman of integrity because she's characterized by honesty, by sincerity. And so you begin to walk down these characteristics. She's trustworthy. Her husband trusts her. She's supportive. She does him good all the days of her life. She's energetic. She's a tireless worker. She's unselfish. She meets the needs of people. She's wise in her speech. When she opens her mouth, the teaching of wisdom is on her tongue. However, the quality, the key quality that describes this woman, again, is in verse 30. He's wrapping up his argument. He says, charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but the woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So here's what completes and crowns her character. She obeys God. Men, because I'm really talking to you, she fears God. 
And as I said, 30 and 31 are the conclusion to the entire description, okay? What a contrast of this woman compared to the evil woman lurking in the streets earlier in Proverbs 2, Proverbs 5, Proverbs 6, 7, and 9. See, her secret is not an outward beauty. It's in her godly character. Listen, I'm saying this to you men. Her beauty is not revealed in outward attractiveness, but her inward character. It's her inward character that displays a reverence and a fear for God. And this is why her worth is far above jewels. Let me just see if I can unpack 30 and 31 through a a few principles for you, okay? If you're taking notes. Number one, the fleeting nature of beauty apart from God. I don't wanna go too long. You've been so patient here. The, The fleeting nature of beauty apart from God. Now, he mentions there that charm is deceitful, beauty is in vain. You know, charm and deceitful are not, excuse me, charm and beauty are not bad in and of themselves, In fact, the word charm is a Hebrew word that can mean favor or grace or elegance. But certainly in this context, and it's used in 11.6 to speak there, there it's used to speak of a gracious woman. But in this context, it's linked with the other word, charm is deceitful, okay? In other words, only charm can be misleading. It could even trick a young man to what she really is. So you understand, I guess I I said this is for the women. Man, you need to lean in here, okay? Charm is a deceitful thing. It can be in in, in a wrong woman, okay? He goes on to say here that beauty is, he uses that word, vain, Now, Rick mentioned it earlier. It's the key term in the book of Ecclesiastes. What it means is beauty is vain. You can translate it this way. Beauty is useless. It is, in this text, meaningless. It is, the thought here is fleeting. That beauty itself disappears or that it can be empty. Or it even is the ideal in one translation that it fades away. And it's vain here. A few things to check off for you. Number one, because it's temporary. Okay? You know that. I know that. Beauty doesn't last forever. Beauty men. You say, Scott, why do you keep addressing the men? Because I told you, these are the words of the mother of Lemuel to her son. Find this woman. And he's telling, she's telling her son, listen, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. In other words, it's temporary. Guys, if you're looking for a smoking hot girl, okay, that that gets thrown around the vernacular. I'm just telling you, at some point, it becomes vain. She may be smoking hot now, but she might not be smoking hot at 50. And she might not be smoking hot at 40. She might not be smoking hot after she's had a number of kids. So all the, the, here, the proverb is saying is it's vain because number one, it's temporary. Number two, the, the reason beauty is vain is it can be superficial, right? 
I mean, outward beauty can sometimes be only that, right, men? Outward. It says nothing of this woman's mental energies. It says nothing of this woman's moral character. It says nothing of this woman's spiritual attributes. So if you're all about externalness, it's temporary. Secondly, it's superficial. And thirdly, here in the text, it can be deceptive. I mean, men, I'm saying to you, and women, I'm encouraging you, a man may be deceived to find out that his wife, she may be externally pretty, right? But if he finds out, here's what I wrote down, that she's not God-fearing, that she's not humble, that she's not wise, that she's not godly and spiritual, that she's not God-centered, that she's not kingdom-driven, that she's not gospel-oriented. Listen, she may be a frivolous woman or whatever. So listen, here's the fleeting nature of it. Matthew Henry writes it this way in his commentary. He writes about the physical beauty in contrast to the spiritual beauty. I like his words. He said, a bit of sickness will strain and sully it in a little time. A thousand accidents may blast this flower in its prime. Old age will certainly wither it and death in the grave consume it. But the fear of God reigning in the heart is the beauty of the soul. It will last forever and bid defiance to death itself which consumes the beauty of the body but consummates the beauty of the soul. I like how he said that. Listen, men, beauty is inferior to the greatest jewel of them all, the fear of God. And her worth in character is far more, uh, is far better than beauty of face and form. So number one, the fleeting nature of beauty apart from God. Secondly, the surpassing beauty of fearing God. This woman, you see it in verse 30 there, it says, but a woman who fears the Lord. Let's talk about it just for a second. Women, what does that mean to, to fear the Lord? You know, it's, it's hard to, to exactly pinpoint what that is. It does not mean in its fullest context, although I refrain from saying this, to be afraid of the Lord as much as it means to honor the Lord and to reverence the Lord. And certainly the fear of the Lord is different for an unbeliever than for a believer, okay? A believer walks in the presence of God, in the fear of God, not out of a sense of dread, but out of a sense of honor, out of a sense of respect, and in that sense, out of a fear that you're in the presence of God. I don't think an unbeliever lives that way. I mean, even that woman that I sat next to on the plane, she says, I don't like that ideal of fearing God. And every time we were singing, we got to that stanza, every knee will, what? Bow. I just have to pray, Lord, Would you open this woman's eyes? She's living for herself, living for what she thinks, 
and very educated woman, but she's not walking in the fear of God. The, the fear of God, women, is a holy reverence. It, it, it even is the ideal of responding responsibly to a legitimate threat. You are, look at the text again, fearing the Lord. And there's many things that one can fear. In this case, it's fearing Yahweh. And this is the teaching of Scripture. The fear of the Lord, it says earlier in the book of Proverbs, is the beginning of what? Wisdom. This is the key quality that needs to be present in a woman's life. I'm thinking of scriptures like this in Psalm 111, verse 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. So the fear of God is linked with obedience to the commandments of God. Psalm 112, verse 1 says, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Interesting. In both texts, 111.10 and 112.1, the fear of the Lord is linked with the commandments of God. So that so, that what this means in Proverbs 31 is a woman who fears the Lord is walking in obedience to the Lord himself. Look back in Proverbs, mentioned a number of times. Go on a little tour with me. Go to Proverbs 8 just for a second. Proverbs talks often of the fear of the Lord. It says this in Proverbs verse eight, chapter 8, verse 13, just kind of working through some biblical definitions. And it even speaks there of wisdom in verse 12, I wisdom, and their wisdom is personified. Dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. And then this, 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate, what? Evil. So a woman who fears God, you know what she does? She hates evil. Look at the end of the 13. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. When a woman is so in tune with the word of God, they not only obey the commandments of God, but they hate every form of evil. Look over just a few chapters in Proverbs 10 in verse 27. These are just some truths out of this book. The fear of the Lord, it says here, just a principle, prolongs life. But the years of the wicked will be what? Shortened. I think it's just a general principle. When you fear the Lord... He's going to give you wisdom. When you fear the Lord, he'll prolong your life. There's many friends that I have that I've said to them, if God didn't redeem you, you would be six foot underground. And they always say, I know I would, Scott. Because when you're not walking in the fear of God and you're an unbeliever before he touches your heart with the gospel to cause regeneration, you're on a fast path it could be, as a general principle here, towards a quick death. Look over at Proverbs 14. Look at just all these texts on the fear of the Lord. Here it says in 14, verse 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence and his children will, will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life now that's interesting. That's not what Rose told me on the plane. She's not in fear. And, and I'm just, I'm praying for her 
she should fear. She, she was basically telling me, I, did, I don't like to tell my kids that. Real, real sincere to me about fearing and threatening and a God. She doesn't believe in God. But here, the opposite is true. The fear of the Lord, verse 27, is a fountain of what? Life and that one may avoid the snares of death. So it's counterintuitive, isn't it? It's like Rick was saying, it's an oxymoron. You would think the fear of God is a threat, and it could be to an unbeliever, but the fear of God for a believer is a fountain of life. Interesting what it says there. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord, 1533, is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Look at chapter 16 and verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, there it is again. One keeps away from what? Evil. So enough for me to say, here's a woman, out of all the things in Scripture that she should do and must do to advance in the gospel, here to me is one of the greatest qualities in the Scripture. Here's a woman who fears God. You say, Scott, get a a little closer for me. I always remember this definition. I think it's by a Puritan by the name of John Brown. He said, when you fear God, his smile is your greatest delight and his frown is your greatest distress. I always remember that. His smile is your greatest delight. His frown is your greatest distress. It means, women, you're walking in his presence. You're walking under his authority. You're obeying his scripture. In fact, look over to Proverbs 19. The scriptures talk about this all over. In Proverbs 19 and verse 23, it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched, by evil. These are just the scripture. The scripture, it's just over and over. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so there the fear of the Lord is linked with knowing God is what it is. I mean, the fear of the Lord is It's harder to define than describe. Someone has likened it to a kiss. The definition doesn't sound as good as the experience. You try to describe a kiss, you 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 experience that. Here, you have to understand and experience the fear of God. Let Let me say it this way. To fear God and to fear the Lord is to recognize who God is and respond correctly to his greatness. It is to recognize who he is and to respond correctly to his greatness. Now listen, there's a lot of things that the culture is going to say about what a godly woman is. But according to the word of God, the pinnacle part of Proverbs 31 is she fears the Lord. Um, Listen to what David Hubbard said on this. I really like this. When he's talking about the fear of the Lord, it radiates, he said, out from our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct, and here's what he said, that sees each moment as the Lord's time, each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty 
as the Lord's command and each blessing as the Lord's gift. That's good, isn't it? You walk in his presence. You walk in reverence to who he is. You walk and respond to his character that's revealed. And as you begin to put the scripture in your heart, you walk with him so that his smile on you is your greatest delight, that his frown is your greatest distress. You know, I wrote this in my notes today. Maybe this is not good because it's illustrating a man who, who didn't walk in the fear of God. It's a guy many years ago I knew. And he confessed his sin to me. And so I'm trying to say this is the opposite of it. I said, well, what did you do? He, I pastored in Chicago. I might have mentioned this guy last year. And he had a cabin up in Wisconsin. And I don't want to get too graphic. But as you're driving up the 294 North into Wisconsin, there are a number of billboards, that's enough for me to say it, turn in here, turn off this off-ramp, pull in here, and you understand it's a very, um, it's a place of debauchery, okay? I saw them every time I went up there, there they were, pull off and so forth. And, um, but he told me that he'd get off and he'd go in. I said, well, wait a minute, you, you know, and he, it's hard. I mean, I'm his pastor, but I'm also his friend. I said, so you would, um, you'd drive up there and you, you pull over. So you understand we're talking about advancing, about being sanctified. He's pulling over, pulling off, turning into this place and walking into enough said, a filthy place. And I, the thing that I always remember, just it, it never crosses my mind because I, I'm thinking of the fear of God. I, you know, I just said, hey, what are you doing? I mean, what, what, what if, uh, you, know, you know, I'm just asking, what, what, if, what if someone saw you? Now, now, he has to physically walk into that. Now you can just do it in a room on a screen and nobody sees you. But there were days you'd have to physically get off and go into these kind of places. And I just said, what, 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 you know, this thing's got cameras all over. I mean, I'm just at, talking to him. I mean, you, I said, do you just feel like, in my words, just cheese ball walking in? And I'll never forget what he told me. And, I, and I'm not trying to be funny. He said, Scott, I, I just wear a hat, baseball cap, and I wear sunglasses. I said, and he's being really honest and really vulnerable to me. And I thought to myself, to disguise who he is, does that make sense? He's disguising. If there's cameras and he's kind of coming in a baseball, he's like a celebrity with a baseball cap on and he's got his sunglasses in and he kind of walked in low and you couldn't. It's like when somebody robs a bank, they got, you know, in those old pictures you think. Listen, when you fear God, his smile is your greatest delight. His frown is your greatest distress. 
He, he acted as though, and I'm thinking of Stephen Sharnock in his book on the attributes of God, said in all sin, there is practical atheism there. So I'm thinking of this man, which probably doesn't fit the illustration, is walking into these places with a hat and sunglasses on so his identity's not revealed, as though God didn't see him the whole time, right? Listen, when you walk in the fear of God, women, you're walking in his presence. You realize that your whole life is under the purview of God. Your goal isn't to be charming. Your goal isn't to be beautiful, though charming and beauty is okay. But it can be, in this context, a vain, empty, worthless thing. This woman is walking in openness. Her greatest delight is God's smile. Her greatest distress is God's frown. Men, that's the type of woman you ought to marry. So I don't know where your paradigm is, okay? And that doesn't mean I'm saying, hey, marry a girl that you're unattracted to, okay? I'm trusting the Lord for that other side of that. But listen, I'm asking you men to really think on what you value, You say, well, Scott, this is supposed to be for the women. I know, but I'm sorry. The text is driving me. It's the words of King Lemuel's mother to him. Find this woman. Find a woman that fears the Lord. Oswald Chambers put it this way. The remarkable thing he said about fearing God is when you fear God, you fear nothing else. And if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Men, I just encourage you, because I got one of these women. My wife, find this woman. Find this woman. Value, they're not gonna, they're not gonna gonna esteem this at Montana State, okay? But you, in a biblical world, find this woman. Find this woman who whose smile of God is her delight, whose frown is her distress, who fears God above everything else and doesn't fear always what people think. Find a woman who's sold out to the Lord. I'm thinking of what Bruce Waltke, the great Bible teacher said. He said this about the fear of the Lord. He said what the alphabet is to reading and notes to reading music and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge in this book. So if I try to just pinpoint it to you, to know God more fully is to fear him more understandably. You just gotta know him. You gotta know God, and you'll know him through his book. I'm thinking of what the writer of Ecclesiastes said at the end of his book in chapter 12, verse 13. He said, here's the end of the matter. When all has been heard, you know it, fear God and keep his, what? Commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. See, the God-fearing woman has a true attraction to a godly man. You say, well, Why? Because a godly man knows this quality is enduring. He knows that beauty fades, that godliness endures. Secondly, he knows that uh, the fear of God is deep to a woman, is not superficial. In other words, men, you could actually talk with this woman on spiritual matters, okay? And then he knows that it's true, it's real, it's not fake, it's, it's not glamorous, 
you know, and then there's so many other scriptures. So here in review, it's the fleeting nature of beauty apart from God, number one. Number two, the surpassing beauty of fearing God. And number three, the surpassing reward of fearing God. You say, what's the reward here? Well, look back at it. It's in the text. It's in 31, and and I didn't read all of it. It's in 28 there. Her children rise up and what? Bless her. Her husband also. He praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you what? You excel them all. Her children, they bless her. They say, we've got the greatest mom. She's the greatest mom in the world. Her husband praises her. He says, I've got the best wife. He says, you excel them all. Why? She has shown God to them, is the point. Now, I, I want to do something here. Can, can I do, I've never done this before. Because, let, let me explain this. I, I, I think if I try to explain this, you might not be able to see it. But if I try to do an illustration, you still might not be able to see it but you, you might see it a little better, okay? Because I said this poem is brilliant. It's an acrostic, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet in consecutive order that give us this woman. But at the same time, it's acrostic. We would say in the Hebrew language, it's chiastic in structure, okay? And let me explain that. And either one of these is sufficient evidence of the poet's skill of God's word. It's, 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 you know, it's an acrostic, but it's chiastic. And what I mean by chiastic is he's building an argument here in the words. And if I could just do something, would you three rows come up here just for a second? I want to show you what a, what a chiasm, a chiastic structure is in Hebrew. And the reason, yeah, the, all three rows, if, if you can... <laughs> Come up to this stage. I want seven people starting here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If someone can stand in the eighth place. And then on this line, I want one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Does that make sense? I'm trying to help you understand a little Hebrew. Maybe your mind will see it. And I'm not doing this for an academic exercise. I have only one goal. I want you. How many do I have? Do I have 15 or 14? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, come this way a little bit. A little bit more. You come over. One, two, three, four, five, six. I need two more. Coming up. You're seven. And then come on up. You are going to be the key. And I want you to stand right here, okay? Can you guys see it over there? And, and, and here's what this is. This is why Greek and Hebrew are brilliant. This is Hebrew, okay? This is what we call a chiastic structure. And, and it's written in this way. So to me, it's part of, of the way. And what I mean by a chiastic structure is an opening. You guys are all statements in the word of God, by the way. This is an opening statement in verse 10. This statement in verse 10 corresponds over here with another statement in verse 30 and 31. Do you you get a little bit of the picture? This statement here 
in 11 and 12 corresponds over here with another statement in Hebrew or in 28 or 29. I think you can see this. I've never done this before. Johnny will tell me later if this worked or it didn't work. Okay, so here it goes. In the chiastic structure, you're the center point. What's your name again? Drew. Drew, that's right. So here's how it works. Here, the opening statement is the high value of a good wife. Okay, verse 10, if you want to see it. That corresponds in the chiastic structure over here at the last statement of the high value of a good wife. She's praised. She's blessed. Then when you come back in the chiastic structure, this is where in verses 11 and 12, the husband is benefited by the wife. Then when you come over here towards the end of Proverbs, if I can get this right, her husband and children bless the wife. Then you come back, you know, A, B, letter C in the chiasm, chiastic structure is the wife works hard. Over here, your structure, Trina, okay. The wife works hard. That's verse 27. So here, when she's working hard, that's 13 through 19. Here she's working hard. That's through verse 27. D, here, you're D, right? What's your name? Here it goes. The wife gives to the poor. That's verse 20. And the chiastic structure, that would make you, Matt, D here, the wife speaks wisdom. And the structure's just going. This statement is matching with this statement. This statement, am I making sense? You'd you almost have to see my notes. Is matching with this statement. And they run down A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And then these run down A, B, C, D, E, F, and G out of the text. But here's the point. The center point of what we call this chiasmus is verse 23. That's you. In other words, it's weaving its way down. The writer's making a point. And his point centers on verse 23. And the center point of this chiasmus is the declaration. Listen very carefully that the husband is highly regarded in the gates. Do you remember that verse? If you look down in your Bible, that's the center point of this structure. And this verse has often been read, do you agree, as almost an interruption on the poem. He's talking about the woman. He's talking about the woman. Then in the middle of the structure, he gets to something about the man and he says that the man if you will, you know, is here in my notes, he, he's, there's public respect. Listen, don't, this is important. That's what I'm showing you. Public respect for this man in the gates, okay? And it's, again, it's almost read as an intrusion, but because all the other verses praise the wife. But listen, this verse, you'd agree, verse 23, where, where Drew is, forces or focuses the esteem the husband commands. Now listen to me. Far from being an intrusion, however, verse 23, listen, actually establishes the central message of the entire poem. This woman in Proverbs 31, here's the point, is the kind of wife, don't miss this, that a man needs 
in order to be successful. That's what the point is. This is the kind of woman that a man needs for him to be successful in the gate. Now, let me say this to you, okay? I want you to think about this. This is key. I'm going to say it slow. The original intended audience was not the young women. Like he would be saying, this is the kind of wife you should be. The original attended audience is the young man, and it should be said like this. This is what kind of wife you should get. So it's interesting. I want to lean into you men a little bit, okay? This is the type of woman you should look for. This is the type of woman coming from the words of his wife you should find in a spouse. You guys can go on down. Thanks for standing here. Drew, thanks for being the pinpoint of the illustration, okay? You can study that more. That would, you would find some of that, appreciate you guys, in Dwayne Garrett's commentary, okay? Very interesting in that structure that here, according to the inspiration of the scripture, verse 23 is the main point, and the main point is, young men, this is the kind of wife you should get. Now, this doesn't mean the poem can't be used to instruct women, but the reader here must recognize that its primary objective is focused on what the man needs to pursue in a woman. So let me say this. Proverbs has come full circle. We don't have time. Do you remember at the beginning of the early chapters when it said that a young man, like Solomon had his arm around a young man, must embrace the imaginary idea of woman wisdom? In fact, let me show you this. Look back in Proverbs 3. Do you remember this? In Proverbs 3, getting a little technical here. Proverbs 3 and verse 15. Do you remember when it says statements like this? Here, wisdom is personified in a woman. Fair? Look at Proverbs 3.13. You've read this. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For its profit is better than the profit of silver and its gain, doesn't it sound familiar? Then find gold. In other words, if you find wisdom, you're gaining something worth more than jewels. If you gain wisdom, here it is, it's better than the profit of silver. Look at 3.15. She, speaking of wisdom, is more precious than jewels and nothing you, can, you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Verse 18, she, wisdom is personified in a woman. You can see that. Now, Proverbs comes all the way to the end of the book, and it ends by saying that the, one, that, the, that the one who needs a good wife will achieve this goal in reality when he finds a real woman that fears God. Now, look back as we close in Proverbs 30. I love this last line. Give her, this real woman, the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. You know what I like about that? Oftentimes a, wo- a person's praise can come outside of the home 
from those who don't know the person very well. But here, this woman, she is praised by those who know her best. Ironside said it this way of the man. This is just choice. He said, he has found in her what the heart of a man ever craves. One whose beauty of soul and mind excel beauty of face and form. And so she's praised. Let her be praised in the gates. Listen, ladies, let me just say this to you. Aspire to be this woman. Single men, you know, seek a woman of excellence. Many young men, and I know I'm being generalizing here, are attracted to a woman primarily because of outward charm, primarily because of beauty. But listen, heed the call of wisdom and measure a woman according to her true spiritual worth. And here it is, a woman who fears God, a woman whose smile is her greatest delight, whose frown is her greatest distress. Let me just say it this way. The fear of God is this, women. It is a right estimation of self and a growing estimation of God, okay? When you have a right estimation of who you are, and a right estimation of God's character unpacked from the scripture, it will lead you to the fear of God. And the, what you say, well, Scott, how do I gain that? How do I, gosh, there's much to be, but how would I, I want to be that woman. How can I be that woman? Let me just show you one text. Look over at Psalm 19. One text. You say, I, I want to. Well, how do I, how do I, how do I become like this. You know Psalm 19, giving all those attributes about the word of God. Here he gives six, six characteristics of the word of God. Psalm 19, verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You know, it's, it's amazing. He calls the word of God the law of the Lord. Verse seven, he calls the word of God the testimony of the Lord. He calls the word of God the precepts of the Lord, verse eight. In verse eight, fourthly, he calls the word of God the commandment of the Lord. But here it is, interesting. Verse nine, he's still on that theme of the fear of God in his word, but he calls it the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And there the word of God is likened to the fear of God because when you find yourself in the word of God, you will fear God. Women, here's my challenge to you. The more you know God, the more you'll fear God. The only way to know God is to hide that word in your heart. And this is what the word of God does in verse seven. Look at it. It restores the soul. It takes a crusty, cold heart and restores it. Verse seven, it says it makes wise the simple. Verse eight, the word of God rejoices the heart. Verse eight, it enlightens the eyes. And here it says in verse nine that the fear of the Lord is clean forever. What a great statement. Listen, women, I I say to you, I, I wanna draw it back to you. As you fear God, 
as you walk in his presence, as you know God is revealed in the book, as your worldview is conformed to the scripture, you will begin to walk in the fear of God. And I'll tell you, you know, this is no promise. A guy who's really walking with the Lord will esteem this the most. I mean, I can just tell you about my wife, which is just a practical illustration. I was 20 when I met her. I knew her from high school, but I couldn't talk to her because I was a senior and she was a sophomore. She was a lower class man or class woman. But when I was 20, I met her in an evangelistic opportunity at the church. And I was just working on crafting my basketball game, my ability to go right, my ability to go left, my ability to stop on a dime, pull up for a jumper, my ability. I mean, that's just the whole thing. My life was evolved around lifting weights and all that stuff because I was working on my game and I met her. And I'll tell you, when I met her, she was the godliest woman I had ever met. And she caught my eye. What caught my eye wasn't her beauty, okay? What caught my eye was her fear of God. What caught my eye was her desire to obey the word of God. What caught my eye is she knew the word of God better than me. She was at Bible school at a program called Lagos Bible Institute at Grace Community Church in Southern California. And I was working on my three-point jumper. But man, after I met her, I went and got my Bible off my dresser and I went, you know, blew the dust off. And I thought, I better get with it because this woman's walking with the Lord and I wasn't, sort of. I mean, I wasn't in great disobedience, but I'll tell you, that challenge of who she is is the challenge today. She walks with the Lord. She trains our kids to walk with the Lord. Listen, women, I just commend you. Make the fear of God your chief heart's desire where your entire life is to please him. You'll please him when you know his book, when you walk in his presence, when you know his character. It will develop such an awe in your heart, a reverence in your heart, a respect for the Lord that you'd never want to displease him. You'd never want to, you know, disobey him. We do, we, we sin and we confess. But listen, you, you find this in that woman. She's a rare gift from God. Let me encourage you, don't lose heart this morning. This is a mature woman. It takes time. You look to Christ. You look to his grace to enable you to be this woman. And God in his grace will help you and sanctify you that you could become this kind of woman for God. Here's what Ironside said, a great commentator, and I'll close with this. He said, when the mist of earth have gone forever, when its pride and folly and iniquity are eternally past, such a one as the mother of Lemuel has been describing shall appear in the Lord's own presence with rejoicing, bearing her sheaves with her. And at his feet, she will cast down the fruit of her hands and the works of her grace, that the works of his grace has wrought in and through her to have all, it says, surveyed by himself. And how sweet to hear his words of approbation in the gate. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I pray that that's your heart. Why don't you bow with me and pray as we close this out. Men, just as you bow your head, as you 
lean in on this message. I have n- nobody told me to speak on this. What is it that you esteem? What, what is it that you value? Certainly, there must be a chemistry there. I understand that. But I hope that you're not defining a woman as the world would define it for you. This mother was giving instruction to her son on the type of woman that he should find. And at the pinnacle part of this chiastic structure is that her husband is known in the gates. And it finds its focal point there because this is the type of woman who won't ruin a man. <laughs> Men, where's, what's, your, what's your radar on? Allow the Lord to work this truth in your hearts. Women, I just say to encourage you, you know, as Rick said, you're responding to men. You're not leading forth and in the pursuit of this on your own as a woman of God. But women, let me just encourage you. Would it be that you would esteem this quality? Would it be that his smile is your greatest delight? That his frown is your greatest distress? That more than wanting the acceptance of people, more than the acceptance of a guy, more in trying to be charming and deceitful or beautiful only externally, and I'm not saying that you are, would it be with the hidden person of the heart, with a gentle and a meek spirit, you walk with your God? that you make this character quality champion, that as you pursue Christ, as you pursue him, you'll walk in the fear of God. That will affect your every conversation, your every relationship, your every appointment. Maybe you're married here and you're wondering and saying, I I don't know if I'm this woman. Well, listen, by God's grace, choose to be that woman today. Walk with him. Develop this. You say, how do I develop this? Take the word of God and hide it in your heart and allow the word of God to frame for you the character of God as revealed in the scripture that you might become this woman, that you too would be praised in the gates, that your husband will say, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Father, we pray, would you cause these precious women to be women that fear you. Father, I pray for the men. Would you enable these men to champion the biblical character and fidelity that's revealed in the scripture? And Father, would you do a work here in this group at this advanced conference to cause us to be what we need to be. Father, we don't live for ourselves. We live for you. We have our being, our very breath is bound up in knowing you. Father, may that be our drive. Lord, grades are a good thing. Lord, a job's a good thing. A sport, certainly good. But Lord, may those things never become an idol apart from knowing you that that would be the passion of our heart, what Paul said, that I may know him. Give us a fervent love for the book. Lord, it just one way or another comes back to the book because we're gonna learn to think right and be sensible when 
We stick our nose in it. And here, women and men will learn to value this character quality. When we fear you, then we'll want to be matched up with someone who fears you. So Lord, would you just help us? And then Lord, help us remember your grace today, that your grace is sufficient for these things. We're not what we desire to be, not what we could be. But Lord, one day you'll completely transform us until that day, continue to remake us into your image that we might become more like the person of Christ. Lord, I pray, would you just help us all as a body of believers fear you? Would you help us in that sense hate evil? Would you help us obey your commandments? And when you come back and when we stand before you, we're not gonna remember our looks. <laughs> We're not going to remember the clothes we wore. We're not going to remember um, external things. We're going to remember what we've done for you. Help our life count for your kingdom. Lord, I pray for these young men. I know there's some young men just at crossroads and maybe some of them just feeling like they might lack a little direction. Would it be by your grace you reveal your person to them in prayer and show them the way that would honor you, Father? And for these women, help them walk with you. This is our prayer. This is our heart. We give thanks. And all God's children said, amen.